صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to uh, introduce to you a dear friend of the show and a dear friend of Palestine, another Australian-Palestinian, Mr. Khaled. How are you, Khaled? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Nasser. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us, Khaled. You're the next generation of Palestinian, and we're going to get into your story and where you're heading and what you've done. But first, tell us a little bit about your journey. I mean, every Palestinian has come to Australian diaspora as a refugee and has a unique story. Can you share with our listeners your story? Sure. Well, um, I was born to a Palestinian father and an Australian mother, and um, I was born in Dubai in the in the Emirates. And um, yeah, I we came to Australia when I was about four years old um, with my whole family, with my brother and sister, and we came to Brisbane first to Queensland, and um, that's where my mother's side of the family is and so we were close to them and, and grew up sort of between there and um, another Queensland town, Toowoomba. So we were there for many years and mainly grew up there. Um, and, yeah, then again we were between Australia and the Emirates where um, my father eventually went back to work. So, um Working in Australia was pretty difficult for someone of his background, especially at that time, especially um, sort of immediately following September 11, coming to Australia and, um, yeah, not being a native English speaker and being Arab was challenging to say the least, especially in um, that sort of environment where we were and... Um, a bit far away from any sort of community that was familiar. Um, and I didn't probably understand that very much, being as um, little as I was, but I came to know more about that as I grew up. But, um, yeah, that was pretty hard for my father. So he um, eventually went back to the Emirates for work and has been there for, for many years now. Um, so we've sort of been between here and there, um, split up but also always together um so that's sort of been the story of my upbringing i guess and mm. um, so that, that's not unique for, for a palestinian to be split up but together often the, the reality is that some palestinians uh you know whether they're in 48 their mother or father is a, a 48 pal the mother other partner is a 67 pal or perhaps a, a, a resident of jerusalem or gaza or even outside of Palestine. So the disconnection, but connection is something that you, not unique, perhaps to Palestinians, but very much a part of the Palestinian story. Oh, so your, your dad's still there. Mum's here. Mum's recently gone back. 
That's right, yeah. So we're always sort of coming and going and, um, you know, changing our situation according to our different conditions and um, what works for us at the, at the time. Um, yeah, so like you say, at the moment, my um, both my dad and my mum's there and um, my brother as well. So it's just me and my sister here. Tell us about your Palestine experience in Australia. So you've got, you're, you're in Pauline Hanson Territory in FNQ, yeah. um, you know, as white as white bread might be. You're fair-ish, but not fair. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously Middle Eastern in appearance and, you know, fit the stereotype, we're not going to let you learn how to fly an aeroplane. Yeah. What was it like growing up with a funny name and funny religion? Well, um, I'm sure very similar to other people's experience, but um, like you say, I was in a particularly um, isolated place, I suppose, isolated from any sort of Arab or, or Palestinian community. Um, so, yeah, that was that was challenging. And as I mentioned before as well, gets more challenging as you get older and you sort of um, want to discover your identity more or or naturally to some extent start discovering your your identity and um, yeah it was it was hard um, I was in schools as well with very little diversity I suppose as far as um, you know people from from other cultures or um, of cultures that are familiar to me, familiar to my family. So, um, yeah, I think that it's had a huge effect on my on my upbringing and on the decisions that I've made, um, sort of throughout the later stages of school and and following school. Um, I particularly, I think to some extent even more so than than my siblings struggled with um with growing up here later on because i i was sort of very attached to that side of my identity and found it difficult growing up in an environment where i had challenges discovering it and was very distant from um any sort of feeling of of that Palestinian Arab identity um but that's yeah over time that's really improved because um I think in many ways it's improved because of my better understanding of Australia and Australia's story and knowing that I don't have at least any less right than any other person in Australia to to be here and to express myself as my unique um, Arab and Palestinian self um, because, of course, Australia has a very similar story to Palestine in that um, in that its people have have experienced very similar things to... Well, the, 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 parallels, the parallels highlighted are absolutely 100% the same where a settler colonialist society that's predicated on dispossession, annihilation of an indigenous culture. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right, you know, your right to be an Australian in here is no less or greater than anybody else's, but certainly uh, it should be secondary to our First Nations people. 
Khaled, how, how have you along that journey expressed or found a way to express your Palestinianness? Is there a seminal moment? What was a, you know, for, as a kid growing up, I, remember, I can almost pinpoint the days, weeks when I would say Palestine and they would say Pakistan and yes. they'd say Palestine and they knew it was Palestine. And for me, it was coming into Oslo in 88 to 93. It sort of changed a little bit. Palestine was in the media. There was peace talks. That was before you were born. Yeah. What's that moment for you? So I think all the time that I was growing up here, and like I say, most of that was in um, a regional town in, in Queensland, in, in Toowoomba, um, I don't think Palestine ever really came up until sort of much later on, possibly in high school. Um, and before that as well, I sort of, as I mentioned before, grew up with my father overseas and my mother very busy at work um, trying to look after us three kids. And, um, yeah, often there was very little time to be um, exploring these things. And I think uh, with the nature of half of my family being in Jordan, I almost grew up thinking of myself as Jordanian and, um, you know, not, not knowing much about Palestine until I sort of understood the difference and, um, and understood the unique um, elements of, of that identity and began to discover them um, almost on, on my own, but of course with the um, constant support of my family. Um, and so I think it was probably in about grade eight, I was probably about 13 when I really understood that I was Palestinian and um, I, in some ways that's when it got harder, I suppose, and I became, I felt um, more isolated here in Australia. But at the same time, it was a great time because, um, you know, I was able to understand that and to explore my identity. And I think um, from that day on, I sort of spent every day um, every lunch at school, going to the library and just finding any book where I could find the word Palestine <laughs> and um, and reading. So, yeah, I think um, like I was, I was also never, I never understood the idea of being ashamed of identity, and I was always, um, I always just saw what um, there was in it to be proud of, and so I. I suppose that in, in some ways that's how it uh, was part of my life from, from that stage on, that um, any friends that I did have or any relationships with um, teachers that I did have, I was never afraid to share and um, talk about that with them, even though, of course, um, as you asked me before, about the challenges of living in a, in a place like where I was is that... Um, you know, if if people aren't ignorant of it, they um, are often sort of um, not very very supportive. <laughs> no, agnostic. Yeah. So you're now I'm you're a university student now, a young man. What, what does what does being Palestinian mean to you? What does it? How does it express itself from your identity? I think at this stage, it's it's changed significantly because. Um, um, of course, I'm as proud as ever to be Palestinian and um, 
it's something very personal to me, but also um, collective, as as you know that that um, that being Palestinian and, and the Palestinian struggle is a is a collective collective struggle. Um, but I suppose like you're asking, being Palestinian in Australia is um, almost another thing. I think what it means to me now is um, understanding, as we talked about before, understanding the links between um, my story as a Palestinian and um, the story of Palestinians in general, understanding the links between that and the story of Australia's peoples. Um, And sort of figuring out what my place is as a Palestinian here and what my responsibilities are. Um, So, you know, on one hand, I think that I'm always free to express my Palestinian identity and to, um, to advocate for Palestine and to, um, you know, seek solidarity from others uh, solidarity for my cause. I also need to be always conscious of my responsibilities to um, the people of Australia, and um, and by that I mean, of course, the Aboriginal people of Australia. Awesome. And almost in a in a way, um, put, putting them first as as long as I am in Australia. Um, as I would expect of of anybody, if I, you know, had um, had my right as a Palestinian to to be home in Palestine. That, that's beautiful, Hannah. Thank you. We haven't actually spoken about your father and his journey. So you yeah. said most of your family is in Jordan, as we know. In fact, probably half of the Palestinians on Earth yes. are in Jordan. How, how did they end up there? What, what's his story? Well. Um, Again, probably like a lot of other Palestinians in Jordan, but um, my family is originally from Al Khalil, from from Hebron, um, from an outer part of, of Al Khalil, from a town called Dora, from a, a village in Dora, and um, so obviously that part of Palestine, what's now in the West Bank was part of Jordan before 67. And so people were basically coming and going um, between what's now called now called Jordan and um, the West Bank. And so there weren't really any borders and, and people just, um, just uh, were, like I say, coming and going. And so I think nobody could really predict that in 67 what happened was going to happen and that um, anybody that wasn't on their land <laughs> at the time was not going to go back. So um, that's um, in the simplest way I could mm-hmm. explain it. That's that's what happened. And Just on the wrong side of the, of the armistice line of, at the of, conclusion um, of the war, yeah. Exactly, yeah, of um, superficial borders that divide people who shouldn't be divided. Yeah, and land that shouldn't be divided. So have you been to Palestine? No, I have not. No. Um, Yes, it's (laughs) it's a difficult topic to 
think about and, and talk about, but um, I basically, I, I go to Jordan. Um, I visit my, my family there, even though I haven't been in a while. Um, the difficulties of, of traveling, of course. And um, yeah, I, I have, we have also talked as a family about, you know, um, trying to go for the day to, to Al-Quds, to Jerusalem. Um, but yeah, it's, it's never worked out and it's something that I keep looking forward Has to. Has it been a logistics thing, a time thing, a money thing? I mean, the, the reality yeah. is you're, you're an Australian citizen with an Australian passport, as is your mother. I presume your father, is he in Australia? Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, no, I, I understand. Yeah. So I suppose it's, it's all of those things. Um, mm. And, you know, when I, when I go to Jordan, it's about going to visit my family. Of course, um, all of my family are Jordanian citizens and, and don't go to Palestine and, and would face a lot of difficulty going to Palestine. Obviously, it'd be possible for them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, like, like I say, it's been considered and it's been, um, you know, a possibility, but the, the more the years go by, the more I think, um, you know, as much as I'd like to be active in, in advocacy here and in other places, I, I feel it sort of also lessens my chances of, of being able to, to be there and, you know, be there without, without, um, sort of the persecution of. The, the, the Israelis run a program called the Birthright Tour and they, you know, pay for young Jewish kids all over the world to, to fly back and they sponsor some trips and some of them are for free. And they do it. Reality of part of an indoctrination and uh, a connection to, to Israel. I've been, I think, six times highlighted. Yeah. And um, I'm an Australian, yeah. I, I, I look like them, but I sound like us, and it depends who's actually saying that, whether it's an Australian saying it or an Israeli, yeah? Yeah. So I, I encourage all of our young Palestinians to even... Even if you get rejected, that in and of itself is an act of protest. Yeah. Um, so we actively encourage all of our listeners and any other Palestinians, young Palestinians, to go and claim their right. Uh, there's a Palestinian group called KTH, Know Thy Heritage, that run programs like the Birthright, obviously in more normal times and not corona times. So uh, I might connect yeah. you up with, it, with them. So let's talk about activism now. Where do you see? I know you've just joined a group and you've started a group called Free Palestine Melbourne. You've been part of the organising committee there. Tell us a bit about that and where you see yourself and it. Well, um, I was more or less connected to it um, by others. I, I wasn't around at the very beginnings of it at the um, end of last year, but I was very happy to join the, the second meeting and um, and like you say take part in in organizing things and in st- starting it up with with the others that are involved and um, yeah it seems like we've we've done well so far and are looking to do to do more and more um, we've got a really good group of people and um, it's sort of a small smaller community based group that um, hopefully sort of fills a bit of a gap in Melbourne. Obviously there's um, so much good work being done in Melbourne and, um, you know, a, n- a number of groups and organisations. But I think um, the idea behind this one was that we'd have a sort of 
broad reaching group that covers all types of activism and um, involves involves all people and is sort of engaged in the kind of daily advocacy and um, and event organizing that people from all over um, uh, you know Kulin nations land Melbourne and um, and even broader possibly in the future can can take part in and and um, you know easily easily participate in um, something hopefully that will reach out to um, as many people as possible and be open to all. And I so think. how would people connect with Free Palestine Melbourne? Well, um, we have recently started our media platform. So we've got our, our Facebook page, Free Palestine Melbourne. And, um, yeah, on that, on that page is our website and, and, um, you know, we can be contacted that way or by, by the email that's on that, on that page. Um, so we've got, um, posts going up every day on there and, um, our, all our events will be on there as well. We're at the moment, um, not, not shying away from, from the events because of the conditions we're trying to do things online and, um, hopefully looking at doing an online film screening very soon, possibly even, um, collaborating with other groups and, um, even outside of Australia. So hopefully, um, it'll be a, a good event, a big event that anybody can take part in. And, um, yeah, like I say about the Facebook page, anybody that, that goes there and, and sees that page will see that, um, everything's open for all to participate and all the details of, of how to join our events and meetings are there. So that's at Free Palestine Melbourne. Free Palestine but, Melbourne. And, and the, web, the website is ftmelbourne.org. ftmelbourne.org, yeah. yeah ftmelbourne.org, so yeah. our listeners can and find you there. Now, you did have one online event already. You had a screening of a movie. That's right, yeah. So um, there's a, a film called Gaza Fights for Freedom, and um, we had that film on, on Zoom, on... Uh, a platform that lots of people are using at the moment. Um, we had that at the end of end of March. Um, the last week of March was a week of action that was called for by the um, by the Palestinian Prisoners Network. Um, a week of action to support the the Great March of Return and breaking the, the siege of Gaza. Yeah, we, we wanted to endorse that call and organise events. Unfortunately, we did have to cancel a couple of the um, things that we had planned, but we went ahead with the film and we, we showed that online. But um, we'd really like to show it again and give give people another chance to to see it and um, show it to a, a bigger audience. So that's that's what we're looking at doing at the moment. Fantastic. So for our listeners again, Free Palestine Melbourne on Facebook and fpmelbourne.org. If you could share one thing, we often get listeners not sure what they should do, how they could support Palestine, you know, a, a simple action for them. What do you tell lay people when they go? What can I do? Um, well, I don't, I'm not sure if there, there is one thing that I, that I tell anyone or, or that I don't get asked really, but um, okay. I think, you know, if I was to think 
right now, as, as you ask me, um, I think that I would just be telling people that um, there is so much out there for, for people to get involved in. Of course, that, that does depend on, on where you are and, you know, your own individual circumstances, but there is so much out there to be involved in. And, you know, we've just been talking about an example. So really for, for anyone in Melbourne in this huge city with so many people, it's really as simple as that, as um, joining a group like that and being on top of their their media to um, to know when they have activities and events on, and um, and join in, learn, and um, you know listen to people, listen to Palestinians in particular, listen to um, Aboriginal people, and the sort of as we talked about so much the links between between those two stories and um and you know as much as as one can le- learn about Palestine I mean, like I say every, everything's available now all all the resources you can imagine and um yeah you, you're definitely not just getting one narrative these days you can expose yourself to to all of them so there's there's no excuse really <laughs> fantastic thanks for joining yeah. us Khaled absolutely thanks Nasser And that was Khaled, another young Palestinian in Australia, sharing his journey with us. So don't forget to look up Free Palestine Melbourne on Facebook or fpmelbourne.org.au. A recap on Gaza after our discussion last week with Professor Mushir. Sadly, COVID's on the rise. Uh, The Palestinians have amazingly, having suffered so much adversity, being able to manage under 72 years of brutal Israeli occupation, how they've managed to contain COVID is, is amazing, both within the West Bank and Gaza. In particular, though, Gaza has run out of tests. They've put out a call to the world to, to send more COVID tests. The Israelis have not given any more over. In Australia, Olive Kids is running a campaign to raise money to help our partners in Gaza. So if you go to olivekids.org.au, You'll be able to support that. That's olivekids.org.au. As we know, international law demands that the occupying power is responsible for the people that they occupy. There's absolutely no doubt that Gaza is occupied. It's occupied by Israel. It maintains an air, land and sea blockade. It has a responsibility to the people of Gaza to ensure that they are able to cope with this outbreak of COVID. To ensure that population under occupation has the tools and means necessary to cope with this pandemic. The reality, as we know, 2 million Gazans trapped in 365 square kilometres with less than 70 intensive care beds and less than 100 ventilators uh, is ill-equipped. The UN released a report many years ago said that Gaza be uninhabitable by, by 2020. Here we are in 2020 and the Israelis are withholding aid and the necessary equipment and medical supplies that will enable the 2 million Palestinians to be able to cope with this pandemic that is gripping the whole world. No surprise to those that know the evils of the occupation, the disaster that befell the Palestinians when Zionism came in the late uh, 19th century. A sad day indeed when two million people continue to get held hostage whilst the world remains silent and preoccupied with their own pain. Gaza knows what lockdown is. Rest of the world, this is Gaza 24-7-365. The ingenuity of Palestinians, and Palestinians in Gaza in particular, 
has never ceased to amaze, but proving once again that necessity is the mother of invention. Palestinians in Gaza, a couple of engineers, Issam Khalaf and Ismail Sakhal, they're engineering professors at the Islamic University of Gaza. They've been working on alternative ventilators to complement the current, I think that we're saying around 56 today in Gaza, and that are servicing 2 million people. Considering the lack of material and the Israeli restrictions, the two men have been able to put together with some sensors, air filters and some fuses to build a makeshift ventilator that will cost between $150 and $200. And when you compare that to somewhere between five and 50000 it's really amazing. These two fantastic engineers believe they can build 100 in the next 10 days if some restrictions are removed. Let's hope and pray that that might happen. And don't forget, listeners, be sure to go to apan.org.au to check out all the latest happenings. Uh, very excitingly, over the next, uh, while we're all in lockdown, there's opportunities for you to engage in Palestine in a number of different ways. On the 20th of April, there's a webinar called Positive Change for Palestine, social media webinar, so you can uh, express your interest online for that. Confronting the vulnerability of Indigenous bodies, and this is something that you really should register for and download as a podcast later. There's a great video series on BDS called United Against Racism. A video series COVID-19 and the healthcare systems in Palestine from the Foundation for Middle East Peace. And a really good podcast called Ramblings of a Chef. Uh, something a little lighter, Fadi Katan is a French-Palestinian. He's based in Palestine, uh, in Bethlehem, and he's created a podcast which describes connecting Palestinian cuisine with the modern world. So be sure to go to apan.org.au where you can download those podcasts and get some more information. Finally, don't forget, at apan.org.au, be sure to join the Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network and add your voice to the thousands of other Australians who are advocating for Palestine. Thanks again. Be sure to listen next week, share this podcast, and remember, free Palestine.